3: I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. As we head into summer, a lot of us are bracing ourselves for another round of devastating wildfires. We know our state is a tinderbox. Dry brown hills, another year of drought. Memories of last year's apocalyptic skies. Over there burnt,
0: then this burns, and next year that'll burn, and that'll burn, and that'll be it.
3: Some of California's original residents knew how to manage fire in really different ways. For thousands of years before contact with Europeans, the Karuk tribe, like many others, tended their land with fire.
2: You know, the historical record says it shows that the forest looked like a well-pruned orchard with a constant haze of smoke in the air. Karuk people being stripped uh, from their relationship with fire has had profound effects.
4: You know, we have to give back and we have to support our tribal partners to do what's right in this place. And the reality is, like, if we don't learn that lesson, my children are going to suffer.
3: Today, the Karuk tribe is one of the largest in California. It spans chunks of Humboldt and Siskiyou counties along the Klamath River.
5: Really, it's the tribe's land. They were here way before us. And they have the culture, they have the knowledge to do the burns. Let them do
3: it. The tribe doesn't manage the land anymore. The federal government does. But the forest is overgrown and thick with dry brush. Firefighters say the smoke in the valley is coming from the Slater and Devil fires burning in the Klamath National Forest in California. Last fall, a wildfire here decimated cultural sites and homes.
5: And I remember getting on the radio and going, does does everybody know outside what's going on here? I mean, we're losing houses. And they're like, we're sorry, there's not enough resources. It's not a priority. The fire didn't have to be as bad as it was.
3: On today's show, KQED science reporter Danielle Venton walks through the forest with tribal leaders and others near the town of Happy Camp to talk about cultural burning and why the Karuk haven't been allowed to use it to manage this landscape for more than a century.
1: When Kathy McCovey's land is healthy, anything is possible.
6: My grandmother always used to tell my uncle that everything that we need is in front of us and behind
1: us. Standing by the creek that runs along her property, she remembers seeing big Chinook salmon in it as a kid.
6: This is called the salmon hole. See how it eddies in there?
1: McCovey is part of the Karuk tribe. The Klamath River and its drainages are the lands that shape their way of life.
6: Basically, my grandparents raised me, and then when we'd come out in the woods, we could gather all the stuff. We could do all these things. So to me, nothing was ever impossible. We could pull fish out of the creek. We could go kill a deer and skin it and, you know, have jerky and food. You know, we could go up and get pine nuts and basket materials. I could make something out of everything that's around me.
1: But the bounty the Karuk people traditionally enjoyed did not happen automatically or by accident. The Karuk people, before the miners came, you had to have areas that you
6: could have dependable resources year-round. Those people took responsibility for managing their landscape.
2: Traditionally, we used to burn about a two-mile radius around where we had permanent houses. The people had lived in permanent houses along the river corridor and up these creeks.
1: Bill Tripp oversees the Department of Natural Resources for the Karuk. He says his people's relationship with the land called on them to take care of it, whether near homes or up in the mountains.
2: With fire being our primary tool.
1: Cultural burns protected the land from bad fire, cultivated oak trees for acorns, encouraged the growth of forage for elk and deer, improved river conditions for fish. Tripp describes a ceremony illustrating fire's role in connecting the relationships among land, water, animals, and karuk culture. It took place about an hour's drive south of Happy Camp, along the river and Black Mountain.
2: That used to be burned every year as part of our world renewal ceremonies.
1: In the ceremony, the priest dives into the river with a belly flop.
2: And those ripples that that creates go down the river and are said to carry the prayer That will bring the salmon up the river.
1: The belly flop, the sound it creates, and the making of that prayer reinforces Karuk belief systems.
2: At the exact same time that that person does that belly flop, you know, that loud clap when you hit the waters represents, you know, lightning uh, striking and, you know, reminds us of our relationship with that natural process as humans in this place.
1: The sound carries toward Black Mountain and is a signal to people waiting there to light a fire.
2: The fire burns off all the small vegetation, scorches off the small trees, you know, puts smoke in the air, shades the river during the day, and so the sun can't warm the water up as
1: much. And at night when smoke settles, particles clog the pores of the trees, Tripp says reducing the amount of water they take up and release. It's as if the trees are less thirsty at night, leaving more water in the river, and more thirsty during the day, taking more water out of the river. That swing can help unclog the mouth of the river when it's blocked by a sandbar.
2: So salmon can physically enter the river at that point. Those are the types of things that can cue the salmon to come into the river, because it's now safe.
1: but the tribe has not been able to do this ceremony since the late 1800s.
2: Kodak people being stripped uh, from their relationship with fire has had profound effects.
1: The loss of that relationship with fire began in the middle of the 19th century. In those years, California spent millions of dollars to exterminate Native people. Miners and white settlers didn't understand the role fire played in the ecosystem. They stopped and even shot Karuk people who lit fires. In the 1850s, the Karuk negotiated a treaty with the federal government. Under pressure from the California governor, Congress refused to ratify it, leaving the tribe without the treaty's protections, lands, and rights. That legacy is still with the tribe.
2: So it's effectively still pushing us out of our ability to live in our Aboriginal homelands, mm-hmm. and it continues to function in a manner of systematic colonization and, um, and you know, really um, really has some, some deeply rooted injustices around the whole thing.
1: The Karup Aboriginal Territory is near the Klamath River in far northern California. Today, 98% of it is administered by the U.S. Forest Service. After more than a century of suppressing fire and cultural burning, this area is dangerously overgrown. In September, the Slater fire, likely ignited by some power lines during high winds, tore across an area bigger than the city of Chicago, killing two people.
6: It's just like it nuked miles and miles and miles. And what carried that fire? Vegetation. You got to have breaks in your vegetation.
1: Kathy McCovey, who remembers Chinook in the Creek as a kid, is a former archaeologist and firefighter with the U.S. Forest Service. Now she works for the tribe and advocates for cultural burning. She says after the Slater fire, she didn't see animal tracks for months.
6: I saw a lot of skeletons, but it was so hot, it just, ash. You would look and you would see the ash or you'd see a jaw.
1: McCovey lost two cabins. Tripp says the fire burned about 200 homes.
2: Which roughly equates to about half of... The homes in Happy Camp.
1: That fire ripped stability out from under many families. Tripp says many are homeless and traumatized. Good jobs are scarce and fire insurance was already too expensive for many.
2: Recovering from that is gonna be something that um, takes generations.
1: Aaron and Leon Hillman sit talking at picnic tables in front of their grocery store, the Kingfisher Market. Leon is a tribal member.
0: Uh, my family's lived on the Klamath River since time began.
1: The Slater fire was carried by winds blowing at 60 miles an hour as it came toward their house.
3: And we could hear the roar of the fire. It was just this, it's like a jet plane. It's insane. And we could see the fire all jumping around the ridges and it was all surrounding the house.
1: Aaron says firefighters did everything they could, but in the onslaught, everyone had to flee for safety. We're
0: um, living in my mom's front yard in a trailer.
1: <laughs> she,
0: I
6: think she likes it. <laughs> we're, we're, we wish we had our house.
1: The Hillman's experience demonstrates some of the profound effects of losing the ability to manage the land with fire. Leon is one of the few in town who knows how to make bows and arrows from you and other woods.
0: I teach a few kids that are interested in how to make bows and arrows, traditional, and six years ago, I collected all my arrowwood on that side of the river, and then it burnt. Now, I went over this side by my house, and all it burnt over here. You and stuff like that just don't pop back.
1: The correct plants grow in the shade, not sunshine. Leon doesn't know where he'll find his next collecting site, or how long he'll be able to take care of it.
0: Over there burnt, then this burns, and next year that'll burn, and that'll burn, and that'll be it. And so I feel that we're getting robbed, our culture's getting taken away from us by just neglect.
1: The neglect is visible. It's seen in thick stands of Douglas fir trees that are all the same age, like a plantation, not a natural forest. It's visible in management projects stalled for years there was a clearing project near Happy Camp that left cut piles of trees and brush.
2: And we managed to get all the piles burnt that were on the tribal trust lands. But Chip says there were piles
1: along the highway and Forest Service land that didn't get burned. The Forest Service covered the piles in plastic to keep the wood dry.
2: I had advised that they don't cover them with plastic, uh, but everybody seemed to want to use plastic. Well, guess what? The Air District said you can't burn plastic and it was going to cost too much to pull all the plastic off. And so those piles sat there for about six
1: years or so. Until they ignited from embers thrown by the Slater fire.
2: And they created a thousand points of intense heat, uh, which likely contributed to the spread
1: of of that fire and, and how far it was spotting. You know, it was spotting two miles out. The Forest Service says attending to pile burns is a priority now and in the future. But Aaron Hillman still feels the area has been neglected by federal agencies and the state of California.
3: Because it seems like, with their lack of management, that they just don't care. That it's like, oh yeah, it'll be okay, it's just a rural area, There's just a few people living there. People do live here, and the Karuks live here, and belong here, and are staying here. The Karuks do live here and are staying here. So how is it that their ancestral lands could remain so overgrown and undermanaged for decades? Well, that's a story tangled up in policy and priorities. For both the state and the federal government, the priority is putting out fires, not preventing them. And success comes down to how invested the government and the tribe are when it comes to working well together. In the next part of Danielle Venton's story, she's going to explore what can get in the way of that kind of cooperation. Let's go back now to Happy Camp in far northern California, where a wildfire broke out last fall.
1: As the Slater fire torched hillsides in early September 2020, firefighter Scott Steinbring tried to stop it, but he was outmatched.
5: In the 35 years of being in the fire service, I had never witnessed anything like that here.
1: Driven by fierce winds, the fire was tearing through forests and houses in its path, as other fires were doing around the state. Meaning when Steinbring, fire management officer for the Karuk, asked for backup, there was practically none available. And I
5: remember getting on the radio and going, does, does everybody know outside what's going on here? We're, I mean, we're losing houses. And they're like, we're sorry, there's not enough resources. It's not a priority. You know, there was just no chance.
1: That's Will Harling. He helped fight the fire that day. We're by a road in Happy Camp, surrounded by torched trees and houses burned down to the foundations. Harling remembers a local firefighter who pumped water frantically from his pool to wet down his house.
4: I remember we were down there kind of engaged at the fire's edge and and he drove back up here through the flames, you know, and came back out five minutes later, just tears streaming down his face. It's all gone. It's all gone.
1: This small rural community of Happy Camp lost a staggering 200 homes and two lives. About half of the families, many of them Karuk, lost their homes.
4: I mean, the sad thing is, is that we started 20 years ago preparing for this fire, and we knew it was going to come.
1: Harling directs the Mid-Klamath Watershed Council, a nonprofit dedicated to ecologically restoring the area. He says it wasn't just the wind working against the small band of firefighters that day decades of suppressing fires had left the forest here overgrown and primed to burn.
4: The time to do this work is, you know, five years, 10 years before that fire comes. You know, do the fuels work, follow it up with prescribed fire, get the fuels in a condition where we can actually save homes and and not be in the state where we have to, you know, just fall back and watch everything burn.
1: Local nonprofits and federal and tribal governments know what would make the situation better. They know the Karuk used fire to keep these forests healthy for thousands of years.
4: Tribal knowledge carried on in this place, and it teaches us how us humans are meant to be in a place.
1: Re-establishing this healthy, traditional relationship with fire, the Karuk say, is the key to revitalizing the area. That's true economically. There are good jobs to be had in fire and forest management in an area that's otherwise struggling. It's true ecologically. Controlled fire supports salmon, elk, forage plants, and the systems that they're enmeshed with. Remember Bill Tripp, who directs the Department of Natural Resources for the Karuk? He says it's also true culturally and spiritually.
2: We had a a culturally... Uh, founded fire regime in place on that landscape at one time. And we have an opportunity to put that back into place.
1: Everyone involved agrees the Six Rivers and Klamath National Forest need more management. Tripp, Steinbring, and Harling are working to apply traditional burning knowledge to the land. They've done trainings as Steinbring, identified priority projects, received grants.
5: I'm thinking to myself, well, NGOs, the tribes... We all have funding to do this kind of implemented work. We're coming to the table asking, can we do it? And we're getting shunned. And and that's the frustrating part.
1: The problem lies in how the collaboration has gone, so far, between the partners, the tribe, the nonprofits, and the U.S. government. Here's Will Harling again. The nonprofit he directs is one of those NGOs with funding.
4: We wanted a level of collaboration where we were all in it together. And, you know, the, the people who control fire in California aren't ready to share that power and that decision-making.
2: When it comes to the burning itself,
1: Bill Tripp again,
2: we can't get past this idea that the agency is the only one that can light a fire <laughs> out there in the forest.
1: The agency here is the one that controls 98% of aboriginal Karuk land, the U.S. Forest Service. Mike Appling, fire management officer for the Klamath Forest, agrees working together hasn't been simple.
7: You know, it's a challenge. Um, I think it's just a matter of putting our heads together and, uh, you know, sitting down and figuring out how to be effective together.
1: Appling says the land does need more prescribed burns, but his ability to act has been constrained by the responsibilities of the Forest Service overall.
7: It's a tough blend, you know, when you've got 42 million people in the state of California uh, today and a bunch of mixed ownerships and such, and a, a number of different contributing factors.
1: First, the Forest Service is fundamentally not in the business of lighting prescribed fires to prevent future bad ones. Core to their mission is putting fires out and managing timber sales.
7: These resources that we have are all funded uh, to be available to suppress fires. You know, oftentimes, 11 months out of the year, they have suppression needs in, in other parts of the state.
1: During the last few years in late fall, normally a good time for burning, Appling has seen Forest Service Management put holds on intentional burns because the equipment that would be used is needed on standby for emergency response.
7: They put us at our drawdown, and we have to have our engines available. And by available, that means not committed to a prescribed burn.
1: Second contributing factor? Liability. The Forest Service doesn't bear responsibility if a wildfire takes out vast swaths of forest. But if a controlled burn gets out of hand, which is very rare but still a risk, the agency can be blamed. Harling, who advocates for more controlled burns, says that's the wrong way to look at it.
4: Not managing the fuels correctly is the criminal act. Choosing not to restore fire process and recent fire footprints after they go through is a criminal act and, and really is what came down to all these homes burning down.
1: Start a fire to protect the land and people often complain about smoke in the air. Put a fire out and people celebrate you as a hero.
4: You know, that's where the money is, that's where the promotions are, um, and and that's where the liability isn't.
1: Until very recently, fire managers at the Six Rivers and Klamath National Forests have interpreted existing agreements between the Karuk and the Forest Service to say that a tribal burn boss must be overseen by a Forest Service burn boss. Mike Appling is with the Klamath National Forest.
7: I know that's been a, uh, you know, a bit of a frustration with uh, some folks on the tribe.
1: After some meetings in recent months, the Forest Service changed its position. Officials now agree it is legal for a federally qualified tribal burn boss to oversee planned fires in the Klamath and Six Rivers. Appling says the agency hopes to work with the tribe to increase opportunities for planned burns.
7: Because we do need to do
1: more. He agrees there are still issues. Forest Service approval, liability, and resources that have to be on standby for emergencies, and a past that stymied collaboration weighs heavily. Steinbring, who has state and federal burn boss qualifications, says it's been frustrating that his credentials weren't recognized as equal.
5: And I'm like, okay, so is the tribe not being recognized as a federal agency? Because according to my readings, they are.
1: The Forest Service says they want to increase collaboration with the crew, and they've opened a fresh round of talks with the tribe to figure out how to make that happen. If that does happen, it could look like a project that Will Harling showed me. We're driving through forested hills to look at the fire management work at Soames Bar. The project, stretching over 5,600 acres, is on a mix of private inholdings and national forest land. It's designed to protect homes that are embedded in forested lands near the Klamath River. This is one of several projects by the Western Klamath Restoration Partnership.
4: This is our promise to our community. We're gonna get it right here.
1: On a shady mountain road we pull over. Sparse sunlight slants through to patches on the forest floor. Harling points out a huge tan oak the base of its trunk bulging, in a sign that it's lived through many, many fires.
4: It's here because it was managed for, you know, five generations of Kuduk women lighting fires in this very spot. And if you think about all the food that that one tree could produce, it's enough to feed a family for the wintertime with acorns.
1: More elk are using the area, as seasonal grasses have returned. This project replicates the traditional fire regime, one that rejuvenated the land. The project's also providing jobs to tribal workers.
7: It's really a a leader in the country and really a leader in the world of prescribed fire.
1: Jeremy Bailey is a fire expert with the Nature Conservancy. He says the Western Klamath Restoration Partnership is accomplishing technically challenging burns in steep and overgrown territory.
7: These are burns that... You would only want the most professional and highest quality fire practitioners to accomplish. And they're doing it. They're doing it year in and year out.
1: The stakes for the area could not be higher. Here's Bill Tripp laying out what it would take for this community to live safely with wildfire.
7: We need to
2: have two miles from every one of those houses burned frequently. But... What we're actually able to accomplish on the ground is is just a, a minute fraction of what we need to be doing.
1: Until there's real change, these Klamath River communities are living with high risk. And that's why people like Scott Steinbring continue to push on the Forest Service.
5: Basically a thorn in their consistent daily lives to, to push them to get there.
1: For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton in Happy Camp.
3: Danielle Venton, KQED science reporter. By the way, I want to give a major shout out to Danielle for reporting this story while pregnant during a pandemic. And congratulations, Danielle, to you and Ryan on the birth of Little Teddy. You can see more of Danielle's reporting from the series Saved by Fire at californiareport.org. This segment was edited by Katrin Snow. The digital editor was John Brooks. It was engineered by Katie McMurrin and Brendan Willard. The California Report's senior editor is Victoria Leon. Our director is Amanda Font, and our team also includes Mary Franklin Harvin and Hector Arzate. before we go, I've got a request for you our listeners. California may be coming out of the pandemic but we want to take a moment and reflect on what we've lost. So many of the more than 60,000 Californians who've died from COVID were members of vulnerable communities. My sister
6: died um, giving food out to families. Um, we
3: think that's how she got COVID.
2: He's a really w- well-rounded person. Like. He wouldn't have discriminated against any other religions or, you know, he who trying to find the good in everything.
1: Family is just not replaceable. If I could get the coronavirus in place of my parents, I would.
3: We want to open it up to you. Has someone you loved who was an essential worker or part of a vulnerable community passed away from COVID-19 here in California? Visit kqed.org slash year of COVID to honor them with an audio tribute. I'm Sasha Coca. You can follow me on Twitter at KQED Sasha Koka. And hey, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. That's right, a dollar and ninety-nine cents. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your eBooks, or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fatdah from Throughline.